All right, we'll open your Bibles to the letter to the Colossians. We've been going through verse by verse. And this morning we're in chapter 2, and I'll read verses 6 through 10. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Well, we're about in the middle of the letter of Colossians. We're to the heart of the letter. And um, Paul has sounded some notes in advance about what this letter is all about as he goes through kind of the introduction, the prayer that he gives, who the letter is from, who the letter is uh, to. But now he's here. And so he's unloading his central concern. And so the verses that I read are actually a pretty good summary of Colossians itself. Kind of a, you have kind of a letter in miniature in these verses uh, that I've read. And the issue, the concern in these verses, it's the concern of the whole letter. It's your heart in relationship to Christ. And so that's what you have an opportunity to consider this morning is your heart in relation to Christ uh, himself. And there's, there's no more important topic for us to uh, consider. And so this is a wonderful letter, timely for the Colossians, timely for us um, as well. I'm usually not one for alliterating my points, making them all start with the same letter. Um, but this morning, I do want to give you three W's, although I'm cheating on one of them. So um, uh, first, we're going to look at, um, well, uh, to walk in Christ. Second, to watch out for substitutes for Christ. And third is to know why. There's the W. I hope you heard it there. Um, know why Christ is as important as he is. So walk, that's verse six and seven. Watch out, that's verse eight. And then know why. And that pretty much um, sums up what even this whole letter of Colossians is about kind of in a uh, concentrated form there. So first, walk. Walk in Christ. Verse 6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. You can see there's a comparison there. As you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so also walk in him. That's the, com that's the um, uh, comparison. And there's, so there's something about the way in which the Colossians first received Christ on the day that they were saved um, that, is, that sets the pattern that sets the template, uh, that, that blazes the trail for also how they are to walk in him. And, and he doesn't say what it is here in this verse. He just says, just as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so also walk in him. They received Christ, the person of Christ. That's how they were saved. They did it through his word. And so they received it. The word that's used here is actually for, for like a tradition being handed down or something, a word here being handed uh, down to them. But it's a person they received through the word, and that is Christ Jesus himself. It says Christ Jesus the Lord. When you were saved, you received Christ Jesus the Lord. And so it emphasizes that title. It's a title of authority, title of Lord. You received, it's, it's a full name. 
that's given to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and actually kind of an unusual order. And so it's, it should jump out. You've received Christ Jesus, the three names here, Christ Jesus, the Lord. And so when they received Christ, what was it about his authority that they needed? They needed not just a new authority in their life. In fact, they needed not just a one with all the authority of God as creator, that itself wouldn't have really done them much good at the moment of the, their salvation. They needed one who was Lord of salvation, Lord of righteousness, Lord of sin, Lord of death. One who's Lord in such a way that he has the power to save, the power to forgive, and the all-conquering power to cleanse, to free them from the grasp of sin. And so Christ had to die on the cross and rise from the dead in order to be Lord in that way. He had to be the one who has the keys of death and of Hades because he died and he is alive uh, forevermore in uh, that way. And so when the Colossians were first saved, they said, I need one who has that kind of authority. No other kind of authority is going to be a help to me uh, at all. I need one who has that kind of authority. I need Christ Jesus, the Lord. And they trusted in him. They depended upon him. They depended on his power to um, save. So Paul's drawing on that. He's drawing on that as actually he, as something that he has in common with all the Colossians, even the ones that are the most confused by the heresies that have crept in and are, are seeking to be a danger. That's why he's writing this letter to them um, in the first place. But they all agreed upon this so much that he could use this as a model for how they were to walk. That's the point of disagreement uh, with them. And so he reminds them of how you were saved. Just as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, Christ was everything to you. His lordship was everything to you. His authority was everything to you. You trusted not in yourself, but totally in him. And that is similar, not totally the same, but it's similar to the way in which you should walk uh, with him. And so even the most confused Colossian Christians would say, oh yeah, I do remember that. I do remember how I received Christ Jesus, the Lord. And now I'm walking, I'm, I'm, I'm using tools that are not fitting that pattern. I've, I've adopted, I've brought in some alien things uh, uh, for that, but I need to walk in the same way. I need to walk where Christ is everything. Christ is the center of uh, all. So Paul says, and this is his command that he gives here. It's the first one for my outline. As you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. How do you walk in Christ? How do you walk in Christ? That's a very important uh, question. And when we get to chapter three, I'm waiting to get there. Chapter three will tell you what a walk in Christ looks like. In other words, what kinds of things you should be doing and being if you are walking in Christ. And as it turns out, the way what the walk in Christ looks like is doing and being and growing in all the things that are found in Christ's character, and especially the things that were put on display when he was in the act of accomplishing our salvation, such as love such as humility, such as forgiving others. Those are the things that we're to walk in when you walk in Christ. That's what um, that's what it looks like to walk in Christ. Those are the activities that you are to be doing. I was reminded of Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take up my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. That's the part I was especially uh, drawn to. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. So to walk in Christ is to walk in the same, it's to learn who Christ is in his heart and then to express that same character. And uh, chapter three um, kind of uh, delineates all of those things that we that a Christian is uh, to be. When we get to chapter three, I plan to 
slow down and go slower. I'm, I'm going somewhat slowly, even chapter one and chapter two. But I, I plan to slow down when we get to chapter three and, and go um, a little bit slower. And that will match kind of our emphasis for this school year and our Sunday school class on discipleship, on the responsibilities of the Christian life and growing in those responsibilities, helping one another to grow in those responsibilities. And they're, they're given for us. The, the shape of those um, responsibilities is given and commanded to us in um, chapter three. And so uh, that's what it looks like to walk in uh, Christ. But as he, as he says it here, and here's the section where he's kind of grappling with the heresy of uh, the Colossians. He doesn't emphasize what it looks like as far as what what you do, the actions that you do, the character that you grow in when you're walking in Christ. Not so much the content of walking in Christ as the resources, as the resources that you have to walk in Christ, the resources you're drawing on to walk in Christ. And so there's four descriptions that he gives of walking in Christ after he commands it. After he um, commands it, walk in Christ, rooted, built up, established, and overflowing with thanksgiving. And that's what he has in uh, verse um, 7. It's an odd picture. These are all pictures, and we'll go through them one by one uh, somewhat briefly. But uh, it's, uh, it's an odd picture. It's hard to walk when you're rooted. Normally, so it's it's a picture. It's one that kind of sticks out in your mind. And, and most things that rest on a foundation, you're to be founded on. Also, don't walk. They're um, stationary. But um, these are the words that he used for the walk and and drawing on uh, the resources of Christ. So it, so he says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted, and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. A common complaint of employees is that they're given a task without enough resources to accomplish it. So uh, uh, they say, hey, boss, you've set me up to fail here. I don't have the resources that you've given uh, to me. These are the the way that it's uh, pictured to depend upon the resources in Christ. And they are uh, certainly enough. Uh, they're, they're abundant, uh, these resources. So the first picture comes from uh, the world of plants. It's to be rooted. Walk in him, having been firmly rooted. And so the picture that you get from this is, is like putting roots down deep into knowing Christ, putting roots uh, and growing for your roots, kind of unseen. You know, the, the, the actions that we come to in chapter three are the way in which it's going to be seen. These are the roots and the roots go down into Christ himself because it's walking in him. It's walking in Christ, having been firmly rooted. The Lord Jesus Christ, before he left uh, his disciples and prepared them for his absence, put it like this. I'm, uh, he used the, uh, uh, the same kind of picture, picture from uh, plants. Um, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And we get to chapter 3, we're going to get all the different kinds of fruit that come from abiding in Christ. But uh, here it's uh, the, the emphasis is really on abiding in Christ, where it comes from, where the fruit comes from. And it comes from abiding in Christ. It comes from putting roots down deep in Christ. So the first picture um, of walking in Christ that Paul presents here comes from the, the world of uh, plants. Uh, the second comes from the world of uh, architecture. Being firmly rooted and now 
being built up in him, being built up in him like an edifice, like a, like a building that's being built on a foundation and the foundation is Christ. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish built his house on the sand. The rains fell. The floods came. The winds blew. They slammed against each house. The house built on the rock did not fall because it was built upon a rock. The rock that was built upon the sand fell and great was uh, its fall. And so the foundation, the rock uh, that we're to build on and then uh, build every, every, all the fruit of the Christian life is to be built firmly upon uh, Christ. Uh, Christ is the rock, the stone laid in Zion. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed, and he who believes in him will not be shaken. That's Christ, and that's how we received him, is to, to know there's no other foundation for Christ, and that's how we're to walk, as well as resting on the foundation, depending upon Christ. So uh, walk in Christ, firmly rooted, now being built up in him, and established in your faith. And this metaphor comes from the world of the courtroom. And that wasn't obvious to me. I had to read it in uh, in uh, a commentary here. But it, it makes sense um, because it's the idea of um, something being confirmed by the mouth of one or two or more witnesses. And so in, in the, the courtroom is where you want to do that. You want to establish something and confirm it, not just assert it, but confirm it in a way that uh, stands, in a way that can be um, proven. And so uh, we're to be to walk in Christ is to be firmly rooted in him, being built up in him. And established in your faith just as you were instructed. And so all the experiences of walking in dependence on Christ and the trials and the difficulties that come as you're walking in dependence uh, on Christ, all of them confirm the truth about Christ that you first believe. They're like another witness confirming what you uh, first believed, his, his lordship over sin and death and hell and Satan that's yours. And the resources of that are, are yours. And as you walk in those things, you see them. Uh, 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 carried out uh, in your life in such a way that confirms what you first believed when you first believed in Jesus Christ the Lord. So established in your faith, just as you were instructed. And, and then the last one, we've had uh, firmly rooted, built up, confirmed, and the last one overflowing with gratitude. Now, I, I said uh, the walk is described in f- with uh, four different descriptors, and uh, it's not so much about the content and the actions that you do outwardly when you're uh, walking in Christ is the resources that you're drawing from and the pictures, um, all picture really relying on Christ in uh, different ways, learning to do more of the same thing that you did when you're saved and put it into practice in uh, real life. Uh, but this one has to do actually with the content. This is actually one of the things that you do. And it's interesting, the one that's singled out here, it's Thanksgiving, overflowing with gratitude. That attribute of the Christian life is so important that out it's a fruit really, but that outward attribute of walking in Christ is so important that it's mentioned here and it's mentioned alone because it's such a distinguishing mark of walking in Christ or not walking in Christ. So if you're walking in Christ, you're overflowing with uh, gratitude. And then uh, this um, attitude of gratitude is so important that it's in, um, Chapter three, when he uh, gets to describing the actions of the Christian life, it's in uh, that chapter, not one, not two, not three, but four different times, along with all the other uh, attributes of the Christian life. So it's in uh, chapter three, verse 15, 
chapter 3, verse 16, verse 17, and also in chapter 4 and verse 2. So we've just come off of a Thanksgiving holiday. I hope it was a wonderful one um, for you. Our government did the right thing when they set aside a day of the year for a national day of Thanksgiving to God. That's a, that's a good, prominent place uh, to put that. That was a wise thing for them to do, and we're still reaping the benefits uh, of that. But if you walk in Christ, if you're firmly rooted in him, if, you're found, if your walk is founded upon him and uh, being confirmed um, in your faith uh, in him, if you're relying on the power that comes from Christ's lordship to obey, you're going to be not just thankful, but you're going to be abounding in thankfulness. That's the way in which it's uh, put. In other words, you're going to have more thankfulness than you need for yourself. More thankfulness than you need to just be a thankful person. Uh, you're going to have, you're going to be abounding in it so that you might need to find a way to somehow share that attitude of thankfulness with others as well. And so abounding in thankfulness as you walk in Christ. So let me ask you this question. That's a question I ask myself as well. Are you walking in Christ? Are you walking in Christ? That's what Paul told the Colossians to do. Near the heart of this letter, this is really his burden as he sits down to write this letter. Are you walking in Christ? Are you walking in Christ today? Are you firmly rooted in him? Are you founded on him, relying on him the way you're walking, being confirmed in him, the things that you believe in, abounding in thanksgiving? Our nation, our world is convulsed. Um, and we're seeing even new forms of evil. And I don't mean new. There's nothing new under the sun. They're, they're all things that have uh, gone before, but coming to our, our nation in new ways. And so we're living in a time when, if you're aware at all of what's going on, you'll, it's very obvious common sense is under attack. Decency is under attack. Logic is under attack. Human life is under attack. And it's a full-on destructive uh, assault. That fact is important in itself just for everything that you can outwardly see, even for things that you don't have to be a Christian to see. That is important in itself. It's an important uh, battle. But don't miss what it really means. It's only the tip of the iceberg. There's, it's an indicator of what's below the waterline. It's only uh, a weather vane. It's an indicator itself of a, of a foul wind that's blowing, and that is that Satan is on the move in our time, dangerous times. It's the times that were predicted uh, in Scripture. What it also means, and this is what's important to see about it, is that Christ is calling you to a closer relationship with himself. He's calling you to get serious about Christ, about drawing near to Christ more uh, than you ever have before. And so uh, this is what Paul says uh, to the Colossians, walk in him, walk in him. And, and this is what he challenges them with. So walk in Christ. That's the need of the hour. That's, uh, that's what you're to see. That's what you're to um, consider when you look around you. You see what's going on. It's, a, it's the need to walk in Christ. And for that reason, you're to watch out for substitutes for Christ. So walk in Christ, understand the importance of walking in Christ. And the second W is to watch out for substitutes for Christ. Uh, and this is in verse 18. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. This is the danger part of the letter, chapter 2, where um, Paul talks about why he wrote. And it's because uh, uh, 
false teaching was gaining traction, teaching that put Christ in the background and at the periphery and tried to move beyond uh, Christ. And it was a, Paul knew it was a great danger and it was gaining traction in the church in Colossae and it was starting to influence neighbor churches um, as well. And so Paul wanted to deal with it uh, right away and uh, deal with it at the source, which is at this church in um, uh, Colossae. And so this is the part of the letter, chapter two, especially this verse um, as well. And he goes on uh, later where Paul confronts the danger that they were dealing uh, with. And he describes it in the way that's uh, mentioned here. And if it happened to them, it can happen to you too. If it happened at the church in Colossae, it can happen here at Trinity Bible Church, this danger that he's talking about. The Colossian Christians were not special. They were not, you know, especially interested in all these philosophical things. They, they were ordinary. They were average. And it's the same with us. The good news is God uses average people to accomplish his uh, purposes. But there, there's a danger, and it's an ordinary danger. It may, it may sound uh, like something esoteric or something, but it's a very ordinary danger that Paul warns these uh, Colossians uh, against. And it's a subtle danger. It's a subtle danger. It's a danger that appears differently from what it actually is. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, philosophy. And uh, the word that's used here, it literally means love of wisdom. And that's originally what a philosopher was, someone who loves wisdom. And when we think of philosophy, we probably first think of a logic chopper, a very cold logic uh, chopper, which is kind of what it's, uh, philosophy has become. But um, the philosophers of this time were those who were considered to be people who were in love with wisdom. That's what philosophy means. And I think they believe that you could you could use logic to a certain uh, level and then you really have to sort of fall in love and take a leap into wisdom. And that was their uh, uh, philosophy. But it seems good, doesn't it? Those are all good words. Philo- philosophy, love of wisdom. That seems like something good. Um, and then uh, empty deception. Empty uh, deception. And again, it's uh, something that promises to be something good like philosophy, but it actually isn't. It's uh, empty uh, deception. And so these are subtle words for a subtle danger, for a subtle danger, philosophy and empty deception. They're subtle words for a subtle threat that can be a substitute for Christ without you even knowing it. It's like, oh, I don't have a substitute for Christ, but you do because of these uh, things that he's warning against, philosophy and uh, empty deception. So these are subtle words for a subtle threat, but what these things are trying to do is not subtle at all. And, and the word that he uses here, see to it that no one takes you captive. Kind of a vivid word that's not subtle at all, doesn't hide anything at all. It's a word for capturing spoils of war or for taking hostages. It would be a good word for what Hamas did to hundreds of Israelis, and um, I think most of them are still um, being held in captivity even uh, now, but it's that kind of word. And so it's a subtle danger, but what it's seeking to do these things or those who use them, those who promote them are, are ultimately seeking to do is something not subtle at all, but to take you captive, to take you hostage, to hold you to something against your will. And so it's a, it's a real uh, danger. And there's three characteristics of these substitutes that he gives at the rest of uh, this verse. They're human, they're elemental, and they're non-Christian. So 
So that's that's the characteristic of these uh, philosophies and empty deceptions that he's warning against. Don't let anybody take you captive. Don't let anybody substitute Christ with something that's not Christ. But it's some it's these things. And here's how you recognize them. They're according to the tradition of men. It's something that originates with man, not with God. Something that originates with tradition. Something that originates with you know, received wisdom over the years, over the generations. Uh, it seems good. A lot of that is good. Um, but it's not the word of God. It's not the word of God. So it's according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world or the, the elemental things of the world. What's that? What's that? Um, the word elemental is pretty much how we use that word. And so they use this word for what they considered the building blocks of the universe, earth, wind, fire, air, the elements. Um, or they, for breaking things up into their rudimentary elements, like the ABCs, the alphabet is the elements of speech or of writing uh, or of uh, words. So uh, breaking it up in, into uh, these things. Uh, the elemental things of the world. I won't turn there, but Paul also mentions it in Galatians chapter four. And there it's very clear that he puts it in, and he's going to use it again in Colossians. And I think it'll be clear there as well. But in Galatians, it's very clear that he uses these elemental things of the world. He talks about uh, being held in bondage to the elemental things of the world. And he, he makes it very much parallel with being held in bondage under the law. And uh, Christ comes in to redeem from, from the elemental things of the world or from being under the law, as he puts in uh, Galatians, to send forth his spirit into our hearts that cries out, Abba, Father. And so I think these elemental things that he's uh, talking about, that the, the philosophy and the empty deceit, the substitute for Christ, the thing that appears great, but it's, it's a substitute uh, for Christ, the elementary principles of the world, I think what he's referring to is what's described in Romans as the law that's written in the heart of every person, not just Christians, but it's written in every single heart. It's really uh, the conscience. It's stamped upon the heart of unbelievers. It's described this in Romans chapter two, and it's just an element of who we are. It's a basic element of who we are as uh, human beings. And so the traditions of men the things that man thinks is helpful for drawing near to God, for having a relationship with God, for walking with God, are things that resonate with that elemental thing, the law in our heart, which says uh, that we are pleasing to God based on what we do, that we earn his favor. We go up and down in the sight of God based on our own uh, performance. And so that's that's sort of the principle that's contained in uh, the the uh, law of God in our hearts. It's, it's useful. It's not useful for that. It's useful to have a conscience. Uh, it's not useful to build a road to God. And uh, um, the uh, that's all man has who hasn't heard of Christ. And so the shortest distance from man to God is a straight line. And the shortest distance is from this elemental thing that we have in our hearts. Uh, God must be pleased with me based on how much I deserve to be pleasing to him because the, the conscience uh, speaks and enforces that sort of uh, principle. The truth is the shortest way to God is not the shortest way to God. It's an indirect route. You have to go through a mediator and it's through Christ and it's on a totally different principle. It's on a principle that uh, turns it around. The truth is the law that's written in our hearts from the time that we're born, we can't escape it, is an unpowerful presence of God in, in us, and the spirit of Christ is a powerful presence in us, and one is not to be substituted for uh, the other. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about prayer, and um, my point was, my main point was, you are 
what you are in prayer. The whole life of discipleship is contained in uh, prayer. But we talked about some uh, pagan prayers, and the pagan prayers always take the form of IOU prayers. Lord, if I've ever done anything good for you, then answer my prayer. You know, that's praying according to the elemental things. It's something that resonates. And it's not just a prayer, but it's it's your whole relationship with God. The prayer reveals the relationship with God. If I've ever done anything good for you, answer my prayer. That's how non-Christian people pray. Or, or even, I don't think I have done anything good for you. But if you answer my prayer, I will. I will do something good for you. And so the human heart clings to this deserving with a, a, a death grip clings to the idea of a God that you can put into your debt. Or if you, if you haven't put into debt, that at least it will be possible to put him into your debt. And uh, we, we like that. Uh, man, uh, the natural man likes that because if you can put God in your debt in some way, guess what? You're in control. And that's what we like to be. We like to be in control and not uh, have God be in control. And so that's what, that's what has to die. There's only one thing that can be found that can kill it, and that is the grace that's found in Christ, and it drowns that uh, uh, last vestige of the natural man that wants this idea of a God that you can put into debt uh, with him. That's thinking of God according to the elemental things that we find uh, in our in, within our hearts and resonating within our hearts. And so the, the substitutes for Christ, they're subtle. We can know they're human they're elemental, and I hope I've explained that somewhat adequately. And then finally, they're non-Christian. They're the opposite to Christ. And so that's the last um, attribute of these um, substitutes. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Not according to Christ. And so the way in which Christ interacts with what people believe before they're saved is not so much a completion of uh, like the final step of what they had believed before, but a collision, a collision. It's not so much something that resonates with the best of the world's teaching, Christ is, but rather somebody, something that shatters and destroys it and then reigns in its uh, place. And so um, it's not law that rests at the bottom of your relationship uh, with Christ. Um, even the idea that nobody's perfect and so Christ will come in and fill the gaps you know, and, and make up whatever you're not, but it's law still at the bottom. It's your performance uh, still essentially deserving at the bottom. No, it's grace at the bottom, at the bottom. And that's what we're to walk in, is uh, understanding that our only favor with God is in Christ. That's why even if for the walk uh, of faith, we're told Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We talked about um, Christ as a rock that we're founded on, and depending on him is resting on that rock, not only for salvation, but for the, our daily walk um, as well. It's uh, told in Psalm 118, a passage that's greatly quoted in the uh, New Testament, Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. So the stone the builders rejected because they're building something else. They're building on something else. They saw a stone, it was a shape, oh, we don't need that. We don't need it because we're building on the elemental things. We're building on the law that we find in our heart. We're going to build a, a tower up to God, up to heaven that's based on that. And so the builders rejected the stone, but it, that, that stone 
And it's the grace that's only found in Christ as the chief cornerstone. It's the stone that belongs at the bottom of the edifice. And he says it's marvelous in our eyes. It's not something we expected. It's something that destroys all of our expectation. This is the Lord's doing. It's the Lord's idea about salvation and also how you're to walk uh, trusting in him. And it's uh, marvelous in our eyes. That same stone is also a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And so the substitutes uh, are uh, opposite of uh, Christ. So have you been taken captive by a substitute? It's not such an odd thing. It happened to the Colossians. Um, it was subtle, so subtle they didn't know it. Uh, but the result isn't subtle. The result is like being taken hostage. It's like being taken underground some place you don't want to go and being uh, held there. So have you been taken captive by uh, a substitute? Well, there's some clues besides that Christ um, isn't central uh, in this. Uh, there's not a lot of love in these things, these substitutes for Christ. Not, certainly not the all-conquering love that's found uh, in Christ. There's not a lot of thankfulness in knowing God according to a performance of the law. Certainly not abounding in it. And there's not a lot of power in it. Certainly not to make bold ambitions against sin or to take initiative in pursuing uh, righteousness. No, when you're relating to God according to law, according to the elementary things, according to any substitute that's not Christ, you make terms with sin. You make peace with it. You make uh, 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 rationalizations for it. You pursue uh, righteousness uh, half-heartedly. But the answer is found in Christ, found in trusting in Christ, knowing God through uh, Christ. The answer is found in him, and you need to know why. You need to know why. That's my third W. I'll do it. Uh, I'll try to do it quickly here. First is to walk in Christ. Second is to watch out for substitutes for Christ. And the third W is to know why Christ is uh, as important as he is. And it's for this reason, verse nine, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now this verse has often been misunderstood, has been understood that Paul is asserting here exactly the same as the church arrived at in its first 300 years of grappling with the teaching of scripture and a little beyond that about the being of Christ, that he is truly God and he's truly man, that he's two distinct natures kept distinct and yet united in one person uh, so that he is truly God in every way uh, that you could be God and truly man in every way that you could be man at the same time. And so this has been understood as asserting one uh, part of that, that he is truly God for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And so uh, according to this way of understanding it, you could say the same thing of the father, all, all, cause he's God too. All the fullness of deity dwells in the father. Or you could say the same thing of the Holy spirit in him. All the fullness of deity dwells in, well, you couldn't say in bodily form, but at least you could say in, in him, all the fullness of deity, uh, dwells. Um, well, don't throw stones at me. Um, because first of all, I believe all that wholeheartedly that God is, or that Christ is God, that he is man in one person. And second, what Paul is saying requires that what Paul is saying requires that. But I actually think that Paul is saying more than that here, more than uh, something about the being of Christ in itself. He's saying the fullness of deity that's available to us is all 
in Christ. And he's saying something that I don't think the same thing can be said of the Father or the same thing of the Spirit because it's been the Father's goodwill to put all of that into uh, Christ. And so the word all is important. All the fullness of deity dwells in him. It's something similar to what uh, Paul was saying in verse 3 about Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are put in him. So God has seen fit to put all the the um, uh, treasures of wisdom and knowledge in him. And here's something similar is being said. All the fullness of deity dwells in him in bodily form. And in him, you have been made full. It's the same word for the fullness. So the fullness of deity, any way to experience the deity of Christ is found only in, uh, of God is found only in Christ. And in him, you've been made full with that same, you, you experience God. Uh, in a way that makes you full, not in the same way as um, Christ, but uh, in a way that uh, drives uh, from him. And so this is uh, the deity that's available to you for fellowship so that you can say not just Christ is God, but that you can say he's my God as well. And all of it is is uh, lives in Christ. So if you uh, want to know God, the deity, if you want to know God, um, not as someone that you just want to make sure he has nothing against you so you can get as far away from him as possible. But if you want to know him as your loving father, all of that is found, the fullness of knowing God in that way is found only in Christ. All the experience of God comes through knowing God through Christ. So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you want to walk in the Holy Spirit, you need to know Christ. You, know, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is just like uh, Christ. If you want to know uh, the Father, if you want to know uh, the Father, you need to know him only through the, whole, through the Lord Jesus Christ. All the fullness of deity is found, lives, is available in him bodily, bodily. In other words, the things that he accomplished in his body is what represents uh, God for you. All the things that he accomplished in his body, especially what he did on the cross in his work that he became a man uh, to do. So the love by which he, in his body, as a human being, paid the penalty for uh, sin or the all-conquering power that he has uh, because he has died and he has uh, risen again. And actually that's uh, what is uh, put next. In him you have been made complete and he is head over all rule and authority. The, the, the experience of God, the fellowship with God that's found in Christ is one uh, that causes him to be head over all rule and authority for us. So that we're filled with that, uh, the fullness that comes from knowing God through Christ. And that's what he's going to go on. It's kind of a to, to be continued because he's going to talk about how um, the victory and the rule and authority, the kind of rule and authority that are found in Christ uh, because he is God. So this morning, walk in Christ, walk in Christ, firmly rooted, firmly rooted in Christ, abounding in thankfulness that comes from Christ. Watch out for substitutes for Christ. Watch out for substitutes uh, for Christ. This is a danger. It's a danger for you. It's not some exotic uh, danger that only happened during uh, New Testament times. Watch out for subtle substitutes for Christ. And then know why Christ is so important. And that's the statement I've been grappling with him. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he's head over all 
authority and rule. Christ is calling you to new depths of knowing him, to new depths of knowing the Father, to new depths of knowing the Spirit through Christ. And so let me encourage you this morning to answer the call with a new level of seriousness, of knowing him, of walking in him, of living for him. That's what Colossians is all about. That's what Colossians is designed to present you with. And so this uh, passage of Colossians in miniature uh, presents you with this. Uh, And may God grant you the ability to do this, to draw near to God. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So let me leave you with that challenge to walk in Christ, to accept no substitutes, and to understand that God has uh, put all of your relationship with him into Christ bodily. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Christ, your son. We thank you that he is true God, that he is true man. And you have said, no one will know me in any way unless you know me through him. So Father, we pray that we would ponder this deeply. Pray that we would accept no substitutes that would come in as a a mediator some other way by which we would know you, but that we would know you completely through Christ and uh, no other way. And then that we would build our life upon knowing you through Christ so that we would become like him. Pray that we would endeavor with boldness, with uh, ambition to know Christ, to become like him, to express his character, to grow in him, to grow against uh, sin uh, in new ways, knowing that we have all the resources that are found in Christ and through the, the relationship that we have with you that's found in Christ. We thank you for him. He's our life. He's our hope. He's our joy. We pray in his name. Amen.